you got your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We are going to continue now. This, I think, is our fourth out of eight weeks we're going to spend from chapter 12 to chapter 14 talking about spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit empowers His church with so that we can together do His work and make much of Jesus. We're going to begin in verse 21. We're going to finish up chapter 12 today. So reading verse 21 through verse 31. Uh, let's read the text together. Uh, and then I've got uh, something I want to share with you. Then we'll pray and we'll begin to work through the text. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary... The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body." but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third Teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Uh, praise God. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? Uh, I know some of you are like, let's get into that. I have questions. Well, we all have questions about God's word, but we're going to get some answers today uh, as God is good to us. But before we get there, I read an article, and I don't know how I missed it last month, but it came up in my feed uh, again. This is an article from Time Magazine. All right, so this is not the Bible. <laughs> Time gets it wrong all the time. Uh, but I uh, saw this article, and man, it was intriguing to me. This was written August 28th, so just a, a month ago, 2023 of this year. It was, the, it was the, 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 the title that caught my attention this time around. The title is this, America Has Reached Peak Therapy. Why is our mental health getting worse? That was the title. We've reached peak therapy in America. Our country is saturated with therapeutic talk. Our language is now peppered with therapeutic talk. Uh, many of the conversations you had this week probably had uh, the language of therapy uh, peppered throughout it, whether you even realized it or not. But America has been... Uh, 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 looking for therapy. America has long... America knows something's wrong with her. And so they, they, have, they have saturated the therapeutic markets and it's impacted our lives in a way the culture is completely permeated. Uh, terms like gaslighting. 
Somebody used that term uh, last year, and I didn't even know what it meant. I had to go look it up. But it, it's a term from therapy. Uh, uh, toxic, toxic people, toxic relationships, toxic masculinity. These, these are therapeutic words used in therapeutic circles. Uh, words like um, boundaries. You've used the term boundaries this week, haven't you? Talking to your girlfriend or talking to uh, some, maybe, maybe during the Auburn and uh, Georgia game last night, as I was screaming at my TV, it would have been very right for Sarah to say, Brent, you need to put some boundaries uh, on, your, on your football excitement. Uh, that, that's all therapeutic talk. America is saturated. America has reached peak therapy. Why is our mental health getting worse? And here's the statistics. Here's where we are at as a nation. One in five Americans recently received mental health care. One in five Americans. One in eight Americans are currently on a prescribed antidepressant. These are the ones that are using prescription drugs. We don't know about all the ones on stuff that they shouldn't be on. But one in eight, think about that for a second. One in eight of our fellow countrymen need medical help to feel normal, to feel better about life. Whether it's from depression or anxiety or what the ailment. One in eight Americans. That, that blew my mind. Suicide is up 30% since 2000. In the last 20 years, suicide rates, people not wanting to live in this world any longer is up 30%. That's a staggering number. One in 25 Americans are diagnosed with a serious mental health issue ranging from bipolar uh, to schizophrenia. One in 25 serious mental health issues. In 2022, just 31% of Americans considered their mental health excellent. If you ever go to the doctor and they say, on a scale of 1 to 10, what, 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 what level is your pain? Right? We've, all, we've all been to the doctor. We've all, well, well, in some of these, uh, these surveys, the question is asked, how, how do you consider? How do you feel about life? How do you consider? How's your mental health right now? Only 31% of Americans said, excellent. Things are great. I'm feeling the sun is shining. There's no clouds in the sky. I feel good about life. 30, only 31%. And that is down. Some of you might say, well, Brian, we just went through the COVID stuff. No, this is, these statistics are from the past 20 years. That 31% who feel excellent, that's down 43% from 2000. Things are not going well in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. And this is serious. And so what happened? What happened in the last 20 years in our country? Everything in the last 20 years has been turned completely upside down. We live now in Pinocchio's fantasy island. We, I, it's funny, but it's not. 
I mean, you can't go into wonder, Alice's Wonderland and stay uh, very long before you start going cuckoo yourself. And this is where we are as a country. The left is right and the right is left and up is down and down is up. We have completely dismantled every and all normative human behavior. And we have praised and celebrated the most extreme opposites of normal human behavior. No wonder we need to be medicated. We can't live like this. So what's the answer? Man, we are in the answer. We were created to know God We were created to know our creator, to know his will and his ways and his commands. And as we follow his commands, right, uh, uh, Fantasy Island finally starts to fade in the background when you see God's plan for his people. And it's, it's as we immerse ourselves in the roles that he has given us to play on planet Earth. It's orthodoxy is the cure, right? Thinking about who God is, who he's made us to be, and what he wants us to do. This is the answer. We need God's word now more than ever. And I think part of, I mean, I I can't say right now at this moment that we're experiencing revival, but don't you feel kind of the the first burning embers of God doing something in a nation that's desperately seeking and reaching out for help? And praise God, Christian man, Christian woman, we have the answer, and it's going to take all of us together to perfectly reflect the body of Christ. I can't say it any stronger than I said it to you last week, but I'm begging you to see yourself as God sees you. See yourself as God has placed you here in this body. You are not less than God gifts all of us to work together to bring him glory. And this world needs to see the glory of God, amen? Let's pray. Father, you are good. Shake us up. Father, make us uncomfortable. Lord God, to be be used as part of what you're doing in the world. It's worth whatever you have to do to, to make us open our eyes and see the potential Father, to see the the reformation, to see the the revival sweeping the land as people stop going to their therapists and start believing your word. Lord Jesus, may we see incredible life change occur in the soul and the heart of this country through your word. Father, forgive us for when we've been cowards and we've been scared to call sin, sin publicly. Forgive us when we have not said in those conversations at Starbucks or at work. God, forgive us and give us courage as we move forward. Because there is still truth in this world that doesn't believe in truth. And the only way they're going to get better is if they hear the truth. Lord Jesus, give faith for them to believe the truth as we proclaim it. It is in Jesus' name. Raise up. 
Every young woman, every young man, every old woman, every old man in this room, in the gospel this morning. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now this is funny because sometimes, when's the last time you thought about your feet? Now, look, you may be one of those, we've talked about feet fetish people before. You may be one of those weirdos that's just really into feet. I mean, God's truth matters. If you got a feet fetish, you're weird. So, unless it's your spouse, then it's okay. Just digging a hole. Digging a hole. We don't think a lot about our feet. But how important are our feet? For our head to be where our head needs to be, for us to say the things that we need to say, for our hands to be able to, to be placed on whatever plow God has put before you in your life. We need our feet to take us there. There is no part of the body less than we need all of our parts. No part can say to another part, I have no need of you. You know what happens with someone with a, we're going to talk about the prophetic gift in a second. Uh, uh, when, when someone with a prophetic gift, they, they, they love God's truth and they rightly can declare the oracles of God. That's what that gift means. When the prophet looks to the evangelist and says, I have no need of you, guess what happens? The prophet sinks down into a little group of other people who have prophetic gifts and they become a little circle of us four and no more, not really doing anything to, for the kingdom but preaching to one another while everybody around them goes to hell. The prophet needs the evangelist. The evangelist needs the teacher. Right? We need all the gifts working together. No person can say to another person, the church has no need of you. We need one another. I show this slide every January in our vision series. Look at all the times in the New Testament we are called to minister to one another. Not to, not to stiff arm and say, I have no need of you. You're going through something I don't really want to deal with right now. I don't know how to handle you. You're kind of you're hyperactive. Right? I, we can't say I have no need. Because everybody needs the church, and the church needs everybody. And we are called to minister to one another. Now listen, I am, I told second service this, you guys missed this, but it just popped into my head in second service. I'm, I want you to know I'm not preaching this because, let me say it this way, I would have never come up with chapter 12 if I was God. <laughs> this is not the way I would have written things. Here's how I know God's better than I am because he writes stuff like this. I am by descendancy. I'm Scots-Irish. Here's what that means. I am fiercely independent. I'd, even if I need help, I'll never let you know it. All right, I, I pride myself. There's a lot of pride in the, in the Scotch-Irish people. We have a lot of pride to be able to take care of ourselves and not need any help from anybody else. That's why the government of the United States put all the Scots-Irish over in North Carolina to protect the coast because the stupid Quakers wouldn't fight over in Pennsylvania. They needed the Scots-Irish because Scots-Irish will fight. 
fiercely independent. This is not my favorite sermon to preach. But it is God's word and it is true. And there's no place, there's no I in team, right? We need one another. We just, many of you are like me. You're introverted. You'd rather just be by yourself, do it on your own. If you fail, at least nobody sees. (laughs) But we need, it is, and I say this every January, it is impossible. It's impossible to be a New Testament Christian following the commands of the New Testament by yourself. So for that cousin John or Uncle Joe and church isn't really that important. How do you obey the commands that Jesus has given us? How all the parts are indispensable. We need everybody to properly glorify and and shine uh, the face of Christ throughout the world. It's going to take all of us as we love one another, are devoted to one another, live in harmony with one another, kind and compassionate toward one another, not passing judgment, confessing our sins to one another, agreeing with one another, greeting one, not slandering one another. This is the word of the Lord. And in Christ, you are part of this thing. It cannot be us four no more. There's no one in the body that we can say, I have no need of you. I I needed, back when we were in chapter 11, I I needed hour-long conversations with, with some people who disagreed with my interpretation of the head covering. I'm having some great conversations with cessationist brothers right now as I uh, walk through chapter 12, 13, and 14. And just because uh, we we, uh, get semantic over one little theological thread, I can't say I have no need of you. And they can't say they have no need of me because we need each other. God is good, amen? Can't say it. On the contrary, the parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. Do you know the do you know why? You know, it, think about your thumbs. Okay, stop. <laughs> we don't think about our thumbs. We don't think about our big toes. We know there's lots of parts of our body that we just never think about. If you're out there playing pickleball, you're, you never in your mind say, man, I'm so glad I have big toes. <laughs> right? You're just doing your thing out there. But in the ancient world, when a, when a king was conquered, when a kingdom was conquered, the king was paraded, stripped naked, paraded before everybody, just completely humiliating. And they would, they would always cut off the thumbs and the big toes of the conquered king. And what this meant is that king could never come back to strength and fight again to regain his title. That's why they cut off the thumbs. Try holding a weapon. Try wielding a sword with no thumb. You needed a thumb to be able to be the fighting man that as a king in the ancient world you were supposed to be. You can't defend your people. You can't defend yourself without any thumbs. And try balancing. Just lift your big toes up and try balancing or try playing a sport. You can't do it. The big toe is essential for proper balance. Nobody's going out to battle. No one can stand in battle without big toes. You can't find that 
that sense of, that center of gravity without your big toes. These things seem small. They seem insignificant. We don't pay much attention to them. But they are essential to the health and life of the body. These weaker, they're indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Listen, you say, okay, Brent, I'm not less lamb, but I guarantee you I'm the armpit of this body. Praise God. As the armpit, you get more attention than anybody else. Man, we're all, we're all the time washing you. We're all the time putting perfumes on you to try to, to make you more bearable. <laughs> you get more attention. Praise the name of the Lord. The way he puts us together is essential. Uh, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That there may be, why? That there may be no division in the body. I hope I have been a good example to you over the last several weeks. Every time we see a verse a little different from a brother and sister, we don't have to draw swords and kill one another. There is heresy. But and heresy, guess what, has been well-defined since the third century. I mean, we've, we've got all the early councils and all the early church fathers. If you say Jesus isn't God, well, yeah, we've got a problem then, and we should draw swords because you're not a Christian. But there's a lot of stuff that don't require us drawing swords and killing one another over. We can appreciate one another and live together without divisions because this is the way that God has built us to be. Are we trekking? To, are, you, are you following me there? Well, Brent, I'm a, you know, I, talk, I was talking to one brother. He's like, man, I, you know, I think I kind of fall into soft cessationism. And I'm like, praise God, that's exactly what I'm preaching. I just call it open and cautious continuationism. We don't, we don't have to fight about the words that we're using. Those, n neither of those words are in the Bible anyway. So yeah, when man starts adding words to the Bible, of course there's going to be disagreement about these little straws. But we don't have to kill each other. We can love one another. And you just have your guard. If you fall on the cessationist side, you've just got a guard hat on. And those of us on the continuation side, we've got the gardener hat on. Both hats are necessary. Do you follow me with that? The guard says... People are weird, so we got to shut the door and can't let any of it in. That's, that's just being a good guard hat. Because look, there's a lot of weird stuff out there. And what's the theme of these chapters? Don't be weird. So with the guards, I'm with you. But there's also the gardener hat that we got to put on at times where we're trying to nurture and love people well. And tell people there's hope. Hey, if you're, if you're in the pit, God can lift up out of the pit. We can speak God's wisdom, God's knowledge into them. If they're sick, we can pray for healing knowing that God does heal. Uh, right? The gardener had his don't, it's me saying don't give up. Man, God's at work. His power is supernatural. There's nothing he can't do. 
We need both hats. I have to wear both hats at different times. Sometimes I have to take the gardener hat off, put the guard hat on and say, stop. But I love the gardener hat much better than the guard hat. Because it's where you're loving someone well with God's word. In hopes, to make, in hopes that they grow in their faith and their, their life gets better because their confidence is in Christ and not themselves or their surroundings. So many times we fall into the trap of walking by sight when the Bible says we don't walk based on what we see and what's around us. You're going to end up one of the eight people on an antidepressant. We walk by faith knowing that God can do Anything and everything that he said he will do. Why wouldn't you want to walk like that? No divisions. But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, we all rejoice together. So many times it's the complete opposite. When someone suffers... We tend to walk the other way. When someone is honored, we tend to find something bad about them to to pick out and out of jealousy and out of spite because it's not us being honored. Man, isn't it true grown adults can act like little kids in a sandbox sometimes? Amen. That's not how God calls us to be. We suffer When a part of our body suffers, we rejoice when someone is honored. Now you, verse 27, you are the body of Christ. Just in case you get lost in this metaphor about the body and its parts, Paul's bringing us back. You are all you men and women in Corinth. You are the body of Christ. All of you here In Ackworth this morning, we are, we make up, we are many individual members, but we make up the visible body of Christ on planet Earth right now in our generation. We are Christ to those around us. From 1 Corinthians chapter 3 all the way to here, this, this metaphor is teaching us who we are. The visible presence of God in the world. The members that make up the body of Christ, both individually and together as the gathered people representing him. You are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church. Now, let's read all of verse 28, and then we'll go up and and start picking. God has appointed in the church, first, underline it, apostles. Second, underline it. Prophets, third, underline it, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Now, some of these gifts we saw earlier in chapter 12. Some of these are new in this list. So out of these two gift lists in chapter 12, the big difference between them is this one is numbered. And many people will say it's number because some gifts are better. The gift of apostle is better than the prophet. And the gift of prophet is better than the teacher. That's why these numbers exist. Let me ask you a question. What did we just read before this? 
That is a terrible hermeneutic. It's a terrible interpretation. This whole thing is about no part of the body is less than the other. We're all indispensable. We need every gift. So to say, now in this gift list, uh, the apostle's better. Okay, that's why it's ranked number one. It's the worst interpretation you can come up with. So what do the, why are the numbers there? What do they mean? We should see these numbers as the order of necessity of the gifts. No gifts greater than another. There, there, there are higher gifts that we should desire. We're going to get to that in a second. But, but all gifts are indispensable and necessary for the body to be healthy and function. But it is first necessary that someone with an apostolic gift come along. Because guess what? There's no church without their first being an apostle. The word apostle means one who is sent. Sent one. There would be no church in Corinth if God hadn't put it in Paul's heart and mind to stop in this city and proclaim the gospel. When the apostle proclaims the gospel in a new area, a church grows up out of that gospel as people hear the gospel and are saved by the gospel and become members of the church. You need an apostle first. Now, let's slow down and let's talk about the difference between... An office and a gift. Is there an office of apostle? Yes, but that's not what's being talked about here because the whole context of 12 through 14 is about spiritual gifts, not offices. We find offices in the Old Testament, the office of prophet, the office of king, the office of priest. But the New Testament tells us we don't need those offices anymore. Uh, Israel is not ruled by a theocratic king from the house of David right now physically on planet earth. It is ruled by Jesus in heaven from the line of David. Amen. Jesus is the better king. Jesus is the better prophet. God doesn't use the Old Testament office of prophet any longer. We know from Hebrews 1 uh, because Jesus is the better prophet. Some offices, like those three in the Old Testament, aren't necessary anymore. The office of apostle is a New Testament office. It was bestowed in Acts chapter 1 on the 12 disciples, minus uh, Judas, the betrayer, who went off and bought his field and hung himself. And uh, evidently at some point the rope broke because other eyewitnesses see him falling down on the rocks with his his guts burst out of his, his stomach. So they said we need to replace Judas's place as apostle with someone else. And there was criteria that needed to be met for the office of apostle in the New Testament. And the criteria was someone who had been with Jesus on planet earth when Jesus was walking and teaching. Someone who had seen and learned from Jesus himself. So obviously, when you open up your Charisma magazine and you see the latest, greatest new conference and it's hosted by Apostle Jimmy John, Jordan. <laughs> A person can have the gift of apostleship, but the office of apostle is now closed because none of us have seen risen Jesus Christ in physical bodily form and are an eyewitness to his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Those office of apostles, like the apostle Paul, who is going to tell us when we get to 1 Corinthians 15, I'm like the last 
the most untimely born apostle because I wasn't there at the beginning, but I did meet resurrected Jesus. First, uh, uh, First Corinthians chapter nine, verse one. Really quick, let's go back and just remember how how Paul defends his office as apostle. He says, "Am I not free? Am I not an apostle?" Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord, Jesus, resurrected power, Jesus visited Paul and taught Paul in the wilderness of Arabia, we learned in uh, in Galatians for three years. This is why Paul was elevated to the office of the prophet because God had a lot of books in the Bible. He wanted to use Paul to write from the direct teaching that Jesus had given him. That's office of apostle. We have to say the office is closed because none of us have seen Jesus. And even though there's people out there, I, don't, I can't believe there's people out there like this. But some people actually believe that the words that they say, that their sermons, the books that they write, have just as much authority as the New Testament. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Don't bite on that one. There's some things that we can, uh, semantics, and we don't have to shoot or kill each other. That's one, you're going to get shot here. Because you're the wolf who thinks what you think is more important than what God says. We're not going there. Not going to do it. Office of apostle is closed because the guys who were there, who were eyewitnesses, who learned from Jesus and wrote the New Testament, uh, they're dead and gone. We don't have that privilege. Our privilege is 2,000 years later looking back to what Jesus said through those apostles and proclaiming his gospel and watching the church continue to grow and flourish even though the world hates her. That's our privilege. But there is still a, a gift of apostle. When God called me to plant this church, and this for all, all my cessationist brothers who, are, who have a hard time with this, There's no Bible verse that said Brent Stevens needs to plant a church. So when I felt inside, I didn't hear voices. It was nothing weird. But just as I was loving Jesus, I was already in ministry. I was building my family with Sarah. We were having uh, babies. and, And I just had this thing inside me that says... This is for church. You, you're, all this experience that you're getting in, in these jobs. I was pastoring several churches. I was working in the, a denomination. All this experience is for planting a church. And I didn't just jump ship because I had to wrestle with that. Because I know, I've heard people say, I, I felt God speak to me. And they're just, it was just weird. So I, you got to check that stuff. It took me five years from the first time I felt like I was supposed to plant a church to the time I actually quit my job and we moved to Ackworth. Which, by the way, there's no verse that says Ackworth needs another church. I was talking to a pastor. And I was like, I feel called to plant a church. I can't sleep at night. It's all I think about. Which, by the way, after five years of wrestling, that's when I really knew. I mean, I was waking up in cold sweats at 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning. And Sarah's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I just, I can't shake it. We've got to plant a church. That's when you know it's not you. It's not the pizza you had last night that had bad mushrooms on it. <laughs> Five years I wrestled with it. When I finally said, let's go, well, where, where is there? Where is the there we're going to? 
A pastor told me to write down a list of cities that we thought we could spend our lives and raise our families in. Uh, he had planted in Birmingham over in Alabama. It was like the seventh city that he visited, but he was like, when we drove through, we just knew. Well, Atlanta was the number one city on my list. Sarah's parents lived in South Atlanta. I had lived in North Carolina. I was a blue devil for three years. Uh, in, my, in my younger life, my dad was stationed there with the church. Uh, I, I was a, I'm an old Dale Murphy Atlanta Braves, you know, way, way back in the day. Uh, we just loved the city of Atlanta. And we drove, we thought we'd end up in South Atlanta because family was there. When you got little kids, family's important, amen? How many of you are, are not from here and you wish your parents lived closer because little kids are hard? Well, I, Sarah and I, we have empathy towards you. We understand exactly how you feel. We drove all over Atlanta, couldn't find anywhere that felt right. Then someone said, have you ever heard of Ackworth? Nope. Didn't know Ackworth existed until 2007. But we drove through Ackworth. And it just, man, it just felt this is where we need to be. This is where we can raise our family. Man, that's, you can say whatever you want. That's just intuition. Don't overspirit. Why would I give credit to intuition when I can give credit to God for bringing me here? It wasn't me. God was messing with me. He was doing something to me. And, and we showed up not knowing a soul in Ackworth. And 15 years later, look at this work. That's the apostolic gift. God calls someone and sends someone to a specific place that needs the gospel. And that person faithfully goes to that place and plants the gospel in the ground. It's not a marketing strategy that works. It's you plant the God. It's what the apostle does. You plant the gospel and the church grows up out of the gospel just as we have seen. When we talk about miracles in a second, this church can also be an example of that because it's a miracle that you're sitting in that this thing worked. Amen. First, the church needs, for a church to exist, someone's got to be sent to proclaim the gospel and get the work started. In every spiritual gift test I've ever taken, uh, apostle is, is meshed together with the secular idea of the entrepreneur. You've got to be willing, you've got to have the faith to go to where there's nothing and start something from scratch. That's what the apostle does when the, uh, they feel sent by God. To That's what the missionary feels. When God says, Africa. When God says, Australia. Go. That's, that's apostolic. Leaving everything you know behind and going to the place of scent. Just like John chapter 9, the blind man. He goes to the place where God sent him and that's where his healing occurred. Let's move on. So first, for a church to exist, the apostles got to come first. Plant the gospel. Second, you need prophets. And again, this is not office of. We know Malachi Malachi says, it's going to be silent for a while. They didn't know how long, but Malachi said, I'm the last prophet for a while. There's, there's only one more that's going to come. Right now, you have everything you need to know to honor God and to be his people. It's going to be quiet a while, uh, but someone in the spirit of Elijah is going to come. The last prophet's going to come, and he's going to prepare the way for Messiah, Christ. 
So Malachi closes. The Old Testament closes. 400 years pass. God doesn't speak through the prophet. There's teaching. There's rabbis. There's all, that's where the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Pharisees, all these little groups uh, begin to form uh, during that 400-year period. And then finally, John the Baptist steps on the scene in the spirit of Elijah. And what did he do? Exactly what Malachi said he would do. He prepared the way of the Lord. John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament office of prophets. We don't need that office anymore because we have Jesus and his words directly from God's mouth. But is there a gift, a prophetic gift? Of course there is. That's why in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, do not despise prophecies. He's not talking about weird seancey fortune-telling stuff. He's not talking about the, uh, the church fortune cookie factory. Here's your lucky numbers. He's not talking about that stuff. What's he talking about? A person who can. And by the way, this includes, women have, can be used in a prophetic gift. It's just the ability to speak the oracles of God correctly, to rightly divide the word of God and, and proclaim it in, in a way that, that seeps into the culture that, that is effective in the lives of God's people. It's different from teaching in that manner. Uh, when a prophet speaks the truth of God, it pierces your soul. You feel the Holy Spirit. It is saying, this is right. Your heart jumps in agreement. The spirit of God inside you jumps in agreement when the prophet powerfully proclaims God's truth. You say, yes. One of my favorite stories, we got to hurry. One of my favorite stories about Zoran Moore, who I hadn't talked to since last night. <laughs> I love him, but his tigers, I thought his tigers were going to beat us. But I... I haven't rubbed that in, and I won't do it to you, Zorin, if you're in here. I love you, buddy. But when he started coming to the church, he'd say, Brent, man, sometimes when you're up there talking, I just want to stand up and rip my shirt off. <laughs> man, because the Holy Spirit in a person bears witness with God's truth being proclaimed. That's why sometimes it feels that way. We need the, the prophets keep the church on track. When the world comes along and says, eh, you know, I think men and women are interchangeable and it doesn't really matter. The prophet says, no, there is male and there is female, both created in the image and likeness of God. And do not confuse yourself and definitely don't confuse your children with any of your Marxist nonsense. That's, what, that's the role of the prophet. Truth. Martin Luther, one of my favorite quotes, peace if possible, truth at all costs. That's the prophetic role within the church. That is sin. This is wrong. We're not going to do that because the Bible says it's sin. That's a prophetic role. Third, teachers. How many of you know? How many of you enjoy your small groups? It's fun once a week to get yelled at by someone with a prophetic gifting. But isn't it nicer just to sit and talk and for someone to, to show you in Scripture exactly where well, God's truth comes from, from all the, that's the gift of teaching. And again, a, a man or a woman can, can, can have this gift within the church. We need teachers in the church. We need people who can enlighten us, take the scales off of our eyes when we have questions. The whole, 
The whole purpose of systematic theology is for when we see, um, say, the Holy Spirit working this way in 1 Corinthians, but he works in a different way in John 14 and 16. How do we, we have questions, so how do we put our, how do we get answers to our questions? How do we put all the pieces together? It takes someone with a teaching gift to say, see how this looks here? And now let's look over here, see how it's the same thing here. This is why we can say, that's the gift and role of the teacher in the church. We need teachers. Again, you can't, the, the teacher can't say to the apostle, I have no need of you. And the apostle can't say to the teacher, I have no need of you. We need both. We need both. That's why I get so excited when we plant campuses. Because I know God's going to have to give an apostolic gift to, to Pastor Nick when he goes to January. He's going to need that gifting to be effective for God's calling on our church to plant churches. When Pastor Joe, when we sent him to Carsville, uh, we pray. I prayed for him on this stage that God give him the apostolic gift that he needs to be able to go and start something new where, where something is not. And he's going to need prophets and teachers. He's going to need all these other gifts around him so that the church can flourish and grow. Then miracles. Now... The cessationists will say, miracles were just the miracles recorded in the New Testament that brought credibility to Jesus and his ministry as Messiah on earth, to which I say, yes and amen. Man, there were some incredible miracles Jesus did. I mean, walking on water is not something I've ever seen reproduced, except by David Blaine, and that was a trick. Raising Lazarus from the dead that's amazing. And yes, those signs and those wonders were God's way of identifying Jesus as the Messiah. Yes, that is true. But Jesus looked at his disciples and said, at the end of the Gospels, your greater things are you going to do. Jesus told his disciples in the, in the work that they would be doing, in the, in the beginning and launching of churches all over. By the end of Paul's life, he could say the gospel has, has been proclaimed uh, across the whole world. And of course, the whole world at that time was the Roman Empire. That was the whole world at the time. The church did grow. And si Jesus said signs and wonders are going to follow those who believe. Why in God's name? And, and by the way, I've got a great two-set series of books by a guy named oh, Craig. I call him Kinnear, but I think his name's Keener. <laughs> it's the problem with not meeting these people in person and just reading their names on books. Sometimes I don't know how to pronounce them. Two-volume set called Miracles. The first volume is all about the miracles that happen in the Bible. The second, 500 pages of documenting eyewitness accounts of miracles occurring from the first century until today. I mean, overseas, there are miracles happening right now as people are getting saved and people are believing in Jesus. Limbs, you remember there was a website not too long ago, if Jesus can still heal, why don't limbs grow back or something like that? There are documented cases of people with nubs, a hand growing back in front of everybody right there. Now, you've got a decision to make. Can God still do that or can't he? I believe that he can. 
And I believe that, that we need to, when, when someone needs a miracle in their life, I want to pray in faith that God will bring a miracle in their life that will show them and authenticate to them that the work of Jesus Christ is still just as powerful as it was 2,000 years ago in their life and in the life of the church. Well, again, we're sitting in a miracle. Now, I'm not going to go to the lake and try to walk on water. Don't be weird. But believe in the power of God. Believe he is still just as in charge and sovereign over all things today as he was 2,000 years ago. And believe him to do the, what is right in the moment that is necessary for the sake of his people. Also for the sake of our witness of him in this world. I believe every day a big God doing big things, using little people like us. That's a miracle. Why would you want to say, no, nah, that doesn't happen? Gifts of healing. Okay, let me make fun of Benny Hinn for like 20 minutes. <laughs> Obviously. Again, if you've got your guard hat on, it's because you've seen nonsense. There's a lot of nonsense out there. Costi Hen, the nephew of Benny, who worked in his ministry for a long time, came out with a documentary several years ago, and I thought it was so poignant. He, he actually asked his uncle, he said, if you really have this power to heal, which, by the way, is not the way it works. God doesn't anoint this person. You can heal whoever you pray for at any time. Not even the, the, the office of apostles had that kind of power. Remember Trophimus, who Paul had to leave sick. Remember Paul's own thorn. He prayed the prayer of faith three times, and it didn't go away. God doesn't answer or heal. Sometimes suffering is part of God's plan. Sometimes sickness is part of God's plan. Uh, uh, sickness was part of God's plan for Timothy, who had stomach ailments. Paul's like, you got to drink some wine, man. That'll help you. It'll help your stomach digest things. Sometimes, sometimes suffering's a part. So this Benny Hinn, I have the gift of healing. If you'll just come to my conference and spend $350, you're going to be healed. That's snake oil, snake oil. Costy, which by the way, when you're in need, snake oil sounds good, doesn't it? I've had the, the privilege as a young man of when commercials come on TV about you need this new medication or this new thing. I've always had the, the luxury of youthfulness to say, <laughs> what idiot's going to believe that? Now when the commercial comes on, are you tired? <laughs> My ears pop up. <laughs> what you got for me? <laughs> right? I'll take whatever, $49.99, where's my phone? <laughs> but I've never bought anything that wasn't snake oil. Okay? Costy asked his uncle. This is when he left the ministry because his uncle didn't have a good answer. He was like, if you really have this gift, why don't you go to hospitals? Amen. That is power, man. But if you are sick, you need to understand God. We just had a healing a few weeks ago. We prayed for a brother. His family was praying for him. And, and God, specifically what they asked everyone to pray for is exactly what happened on the day it was supposed to happen. Why would you want to give credit to a doctor for that? Why, why, why is it so hard for us to honor God with the gifts that he says he gives to his church? 
Some of you who are new don't know this, but when we had our last child, we would, I, we would have been like Catholic people. We would have had more kids than 12, 13, 14 of them. We just keep popping them out. It's fun to have kids, you know? But our fourth kid, Hannah, Sarah, developed cardiomyopathy, which was nothing I had ever heard of, but it, the doctors were very concerned with it. When we asked, they were like, definitely, you can't have any more kids. And, and he said, if, if she survives, you can't have any more kids. I was like, what? I was like, what, what are you talking about here? What are the chances? 50-50, he said. 50-50, she could die on the table, giving birth. No bedside manner at all. He was just, just bleh, 50 I was wrecked. I remember sitting with our worship pastor at the time, man, and I, we're sitting at a little sports bar that's not there anymore, and I just wept. And he prayed for me. The church prayed. And we've got a beautiful little girl, and Sarah's alive. Praise God for doctors and medical science, but more than that, praise God that he answers prayers. He still has the power to heal. His word says, my arm has not been shortened. I can still reach down all the way to where you are. I can still help. I can still deliver. I can still heal. God is who he says he is. Yes, there are ding-dongs out there. But that's not going to hinder my faith to believe in the God of my Bible who says he still works in our lives. That's my gardener hat. That's all I want. I want for you to see God for as big as he is and know that his promises are yes and amen. I don't want you to get weird. We're going to talk about tongues and interpretation and more prophecy in chapter 14. We're going to walk through it. It's not nearly as weird as lots of people make it. But don't take any of this and I think... I think I have the gift of healing. That's not the way it works. <laughs> but in the moment, if somebody comes and, ha and has need of prayer and says, I'm sick, I don't know what to do, and you pray for them and God heals them, that's how that works. And God may heal them right then or, or God may heal them three months from, uh, from that prayer. But believe that he can. That's why in James chapter 5, and we're out of time, and I'm sorry, but James chapter 5 says, if you, are you sick? Why wouldn't you go to the leaders of the church? Ask for them to pray the prayer of faith over you. Because God still, that's not in the Bible because that ceased a long time ago. James is commanding the people, when you're sick, go to your elders. Ask for prayer that they can pray the prayer of faith. And God doesn't heal everybody. But when we pray for you, we're believing he's going to heal. Amen. Look real quickly. Oh, uh, helping, administrating. What are these gifts? Because they don't show up again. We're, again, we're going to talk about tongues of 14. Helping. Man, that's just, that's just when you're walking through the hall and you see trash on the floor. It's so simple. I don't know if I can believe that, Brent. I don't want to get weird. Just helping. Does trash need to go to the trash? Does... Uh, is a little old lady having trouble getting her car out of a tight parking spot? Helping is just seeing, being, a, being mature enough. Because you know, uh, those of us have kids, they don't have the maturity. They walk around the house and some magical fairy is going to clean that cereal bowl that you just left there on the counter. 
But we know as adults there's no magical fairy. So when, we're, when we become mature enough and we see a need that needs to be filled, helping us meet, just getting in there and meeting that need. It's as simple as holding a baby so a mom can hear the gospel who's tired of holding that baby from her long week. Administrating. Cammy definitely has this gift here at our church. Do you know how a church calendar works? It's stupid. I don't have the gift. <laughs> this place would be a wreck without Cammy making sure everything aligns and making sure somebody's here if you need the church and, and you've requested this or that. Right? There's a lot of moving pieces. People with administrative, church needs people with administrative gifts that can help uh, bring order to the chaos, which is why these gifts exist in the first place. We're going to find out in chapter 14. So that when we gather and come together, it's going to be orderly and not weird, not chaos. Now watch. I got, we got to get through this. Oh, seven questions. Are all apostles? Are all? Seven questions he asks. These are, this is rhetorical. The answer to all these questions is obviously No. Why does Paul ask those questions? To, to bring people back together, many parts, many gifts, all indispensable, all, no, nobody's got them all. Nobody can beat their chest like King Kong and say, look at me, I've got, which was happening in Corinth. I'm going to read you a John Chrysostom quote when we get to chapter 14. It's awesome. Nobody gets to say, look at me, spotlight always on me. Nobody has every gift. We need one another and we always will let's pray father thank you for your word thank you for additional time this morning god bless your people may they have faith this morning to know you to see you bigger than they've ever seen you father for those with needs may they seek prayer from our prayer team there's elders up front if they are in need of healing lord god may they seek out the help that you provide. Father, use your church. Gift all of us in, in the ways that you say you will, that we may be effective in lifting you up. It's in Jesus' name, every Christian said. Amen.